0: Coming up, he's been in the ring for some of the most memorable moments in WWE history. Now the senior official of SmackDown, the one they call Little Nate, is joining the show. That's right, Charles Robinson joins the podcast as ATB starts now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and I am stoked for today's episode. I know I say that each and every week, and I get paid to be stoked for these episodes, so I should be, but that's not why. I'm very excited because this is a man I've got a lot of respect for. He is a veritable encyclopedia of all things sports entertainment. Please welcome Charles Robinson. Charles, we have a litany of topics we could cover. I don't know where to begin, so let's start at the very beginning. You have been a very familiar face to basically anybody who's been a sports entertainment fan for how many years now?
1: Going on 25 years in this crazy business.
0: And you are one of the last men standing who was able to live through and survive and thrive in both WCW and WWE.
1: Yeah, man, I've been very, very lucky. I can't think of anyone that's in the ring now that was with WCW once it folded.
0: Yeah, most of the faces that are still around, Booker T always comes to mind, and of course, Nature Boy. So let's start at the very beginning. How did Charles Robinson enter this insane world of sports entertainment?
1: Well, you know, like most of us that are in this business, we grew up watching wrestling from being a child. You know, my grandmother, my grandmother, maybe your grandmother, our grandmothers, they introduced us to wrestling. And I started watching wrestling back in 1974 with uh, Jim Crockett Promotions. And that was home of Ric Flair. And he was the first person that I saw on TV. And it was, I was hooked. It was like a magnet that drew me in to want to watch wrestling every single week.
0: So, So how did you make the transition from fan to actually stepping inside of a ring? Oh, wow, man, that's, you know, I was in the Navy for six years. Oh, okay. Um, for those that didn't know. I was not aware of that.
1: I was on submarines, and one of my duties was a photographer. And I've always loved taking pictures. I mean, concerts or nature or portraits, and, of course, wrestling. There was a local group here in Charlotte called PWF, Pro Wrestling Federation. It was run by um, George South. Okay, Mr. Number One. Mr. Number One and the Italian Stallion. Okay, And I had been in sales, Corey, for, gosh, 10 years selling cars or selling sear siding and windows. And I was tired of it. I was I did not like sales. So I saw this group in Charlotte and I went to George. I went to the Italian Stallion. I said, hey, let me take pictures for you guys. And they said, sure, why not? And I actually got a few of the photos published in the magazines when they used to have wrestling magazines inside wrestling. The Wrestler, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. You remember those, right? Oh, I
0: remember all those, man. That was yeah. that was a highlight of going to the supermarket with my parents when I was a kid. It was it was my dad was luckily just the big just as big of a fan as I was, so I didn't have to right. fight too hard to get him to you know let me throw a few in the cart. But that was pre Internet days, man. That's what we lived by.
1: That is exactly what we lived by. So I had some uh, photos that were published, and then one day they came up to me and they said, "We want to use you um, in a role where." You take a photo and your flash goes off, it blinds the bad guy. He gets rolled up. He loses. He comes out and beats you up. So he's beating on me. He busts my head open. I came back the next week as a special guest referee, had never done it before in my life. Got in there and did it. And they said, uh, You do pretty good there, kid. Want to come back and do it next week? And I was hooked. So I was doing that on the weekends. Okay doing the selling during the week to pay the bills because, you know, you can't pay a bill with a hot dog. Amen. You know, yeah, you, it, you it. had to keep, keep that job <laughs> to support
0: your wrestling habit. I, that's, that's a very theme.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, growing up, I watched one to me, one of the best referees ever in the business was Tommy Young.
0: The legendary NWA referee.
1: Right. So, you know, i watched Tommy all the time. I didn't just watch the wrestlers. I watched Tommy because he was so animated and he was so entertaining to watch. So that's how I learn to do what I do is I watch Tommy. I talk to Tommy. I got to know Tommy. So he's my mentor in this
0: very, Business. very cool. And anybody to this right now that might not be familiar, just pull up WWE network right now and, and watch anything classic NWA. Tommy Young was a staple uh of, of all the big important matches right. that I can recall as a child. He he was right there with your flares and your dusties and, and the Andersons and everybody that mattered. So uh very, very cool. So how long were you doing the, the independent refereeing before WCW came a call Maybe, you know, 18 months. Wow. Maybe
1: yeah you know i I tore down those those roads you know <laughs> I, I didn't really pay I didn't pay the dues like a lot of people had to back in in those days. Sure. Um, I was very, very lucky. I was very very adamant about what I wanted to do, so every week I would send videotapes. remember those Videotapes. Oh, Yes letters, phone calls. I sent them to Terry Taylor who worked for WCW at the time okay and I, and I bugged him. Anytime they were in the area. Hey, Terry, Terry, Terry. Finally, uh, September of ninety-seven, they were doing a nitro in Charlotte. And I showed up at the building and I said, Terry, I'm here. <laughs> he, goes, <"Do> have- <laughs> he goes, Do you have your bag? I said, I always carry my bag. I mean that's you you pay enough thing, dues right? to
0: learn that. Yep. I, I was talking exactly. with Adam Pierce about that the other day. How how that was that was rule number one. You don't go anywhere near a wrestling ring without your gear, at least in the trunk of your car.
1: That's exactly right. You never know when you can be used. And Terry told me, he goes, you know, you have bugged me and irritated me so much. I'm going to just let you have a shot here. So they gave me a dark match. It was Chris Adams against Kendall Windham and uh, Jody Hamilton, who was doing the timekeeping and such. He was very, very helpful in telling me what I needed to do because I'd never worn an IFB. Right before in my life, you know, um, but the whole crew, they were so helpful. And I went home that night, you know, just ecstatic. static. And they called me a week later and said, hey, we need you down in Orlando to do the TV tapings.
0: That's awesome. Isn't it?
1: And it was sort of bittersweet because they had a spot open because uh, Brian Hildebrand, Mark Curtis.
0: Oh, yes, yes.
1: What a great referee. Um, he was battling cancer at the time. So they needed someone to come in and take his spot. So oh, okay. they, they, they had that opening. So, you know, it was good I got a spot, but I hate the way that spot came
0: available, sure, of course. Sure, RIP, Mark Curtis, Brian Hildebrand, one of the greats. Absolutely. So what was it like for you personally, having done independent refereeing to now refereeing for television, which is a completely different animal as a wrestler, Absolutely. as well as a referee. Give me a Notes version to anyone listening who might not realize how essential a referee is to what happens during a match in WWE or WCW?
1: Well, you know, especially with television, it's so important because there, there's times that we have to hit. You know, you can only fit so many matches into a two- or a three-hour program. Right. You know, that's very, very important. Also, if something happens where someone is injured, we have to be able to talk to the people in the back. So we even have microphones now where we can actually do that communication.
0: So, who were some of the guys in WCW that you gravitated toward a, as a newbie, so to speak, uh, in, in the industry?
1: You know, I was lucky because growing up here in Charlotte and traveling out of Charlotte, there were so many guys that lived here. You know, you had right. Flair, it's Flair Country, Arn Anderson, Steamboat. <laughs> you had these folks. And for some reason, Arn pulled me in. He took me under his wing and he let me ride with him and stay with him. Uh, our trainer, Danny Young, did the same thing. So that's where I was lucky. Some people have to go out and get their own cars and get their own hotel rooms. But I had someone that saw something in me and
0: they just took me under their wing and they took care of me. To be a fly on the wall in those car rides, I, I, I've spent enough time around, you know, arn and, and flair just in, in right. casual environments. But to be able to sit in a car under those learning trees, man, what an experience that must have been.
1: Oh, it was fantastic. You know, I, I didn't drink at all in those days. So um, I did a lot of driving.
0: That's why you got invited. <laughs> That's that old school mentality. We always joke with Michael Cole because when Cole came, right. to WWE, he, he drove around Bradshaw and Farouk. And that oh, was, boy. Yeah. in those days, you know, different, different world, different laws, different rules, but, but right. that was it, man. It was the wild West and you always had to have a good driver.
1: Absolutely. Nowadays, just as long as you have your video game console, you're good. You're, right.
0: You know, you're <laughs> set, right? That's it. So walk me through some of your favorite memories of WCW. I know it's a lot to condense into, you know, a, a, a single interview, but just what stands out to you?
1: Yes. Well, the biggest thing that stands out is uh, when they had me do the Little Nature Boy storyline um, right. with Rick and Arn. Uh, got to work with some of the greats. I worked with Roddy Piper. I worked with Randy Savage. That was just, I mean, I was in the business for one year on TV and they put me into this storyline. And it was Kevin Nash that came up to me and says, hey, what do you think if we have your Russell Girl And you lose. I said, okay. He goes, and we'll give you a Ric Flair robe. (laughs) Bam. (laughs) So that's what we have right back here behind me. Oh, that's Uh, amazing. That's where uh, that's uh, from. Little mates. But, you know, I remember that because I'm working with some of the most legendary guys ever in the business who they all have such a great mind for it. And Randy Savage, he took the time to work with me in the ring and to work on the match to make sure that what we gave to the fans was fun and entertaining. And it wasn't meant to be a comedy thing because it wasn't. I thought the match turned out actually pretty good. Um, if those who haven't seen it, check it out on the network or YouTube, wherever you want to find it. But he he was just fantastic. The only problem I had with Savage was about a week later after my match, which was in a sold out, RCA Dome in St. Louis, they were hanging from the rafters. You
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> you needed to pop the town, call little Nate. Not a, not, a, not a
1: seat left. Uh, but a week later, uh, Rick Flair and I, we teamed up to take on Medusa and Savage. They called it a mixed tag match. I think they were saying I was part of the other mix. I don't know what they were trying to say. <laughs> But, of course, uh, Savage and Medusa, they were going over. They were going to be the winners. And Savage was going to do the elbow on somebody. And Rick Fair looked at me and said, it ain't going to be me. So <laughs> I was volunteered to take the elbow drop from Savage. And, unfortunately, he landed on me. And he put me in the hospital for a couple weeks. Really? Yeah. He collapsed my lung, cracked some vertebrae in my back. And uh, my wrestling career was over
0: hey but you went out on top i mean you're out there with medusa <laughs> and flair and savage i mean that's a that's a pretty strong resume short as it may be
1: <laughs> it was very very short but you know it all worked out because i find that a referee's career tends to be a little bit longer yes. than than in-ring performer as a wrestler right so um you know i was supposed to tour with rick all summer long we were supposed to tag well if that would have happened Who knows what it would have done to my referee career? I'm of the mindset, things worked out the way they were supposed to.
0: Maybe a blessing in disguise. Exactly. Talk to me a little bit more about what it meant at the time and what it means today for you to have developed and harvested this relationship with the one and only Nature Boy, Ric Flair.
1: Oh, man, you know, I always looked up to him. He was the reason that I had my first uh, die job. I mean, you mean that's not natural? natural. <laughs> this, this is natural now. Okay. But, uh, you know, seventh grade. You know, my mom. She was a a, a hairstylist, a beautician. They called him back then, and she bleached my hair out. And from then on, I I wore uh, warm up jackets that I put rhinestones and sequins and feathers, and I wore those around the school so everyone knew my love for the nature boy. You know, once I finally got to meet him, first time I met him. I was in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, Rick Flair against Wahoo McDaniels. Okay. The big Chief, right? Yes, sir. I was staying with a cousin of mine. He took me to the show, and I went down to see Rick. He was standing over by one of the dugouts, and he gave me a dollar, and he says, go buy me a soda. So, uh, <laughs> so I went and got this guy, Coca-Cola, went back down, gave him his Coke, and gave him his change. He didn't give me a tip, Corey.
0: <laughs> I'm sure he's picked up a few rounds in the year since. Yes, absolutely.
1: But, you know, just to work with Rick was just phenomenal. I, I, I've always looked up to him. I think he's definitely one of the greatest workers in the ring ever. Uh, one of the greatest talkers has so much charisma. So just to be be able to hang out with him and to hear his stories, his memory is is so great. I've forgotten it's, everything.
0: I agree. It's amazing. Especially all that he's been through, he is still Absolutely. razor sharp with everything. Exactly. He'll
1: say, "Yeah, it, you know, December the 13th, 1982. I was It's like, how do you remember that?" Yeah. The buildings. I I have so much trouble remembering anything like that.
0: Oh, you're lucky if I could tell you what day it is on most most occasions, let alone what happened 20 years ago and where it happened and what the finish of the match was. And He's right. unbelievable like that. I know I've gotten to know Rick fairly well over the years. There's there's a kind of an unspoken rule, even with my girlfriend, that if I'm hanging with Nate, it's going to be a late night. <laughs> <laughs> don't call. You're not going to get a good conversation out of me. And I and I just sit there like a kid and just yeah. listen. You don't even have to ask him questions. He just starts going, and one leads to the next to the next. And man, it's it's like getting sitting at, sit at the bar next to Elvis. You know what I mean? Exactly. He's Americana. It's it's incredible.
1: And I love it because no matter what story he tells, he'll say this is the greatest story ever. <laughs> <laughs> 30 minutes later, oh, this is the greatest story ever. So, oh, yes. you know, I just love it. But all of his stories are the greatest
0: story ever. No doubt about that. As far as I know within WWE, referees have a million ancillary duties. It's not just show up, count the three, go home. You guys are busy all day. Was it the case in WCW as well?
1: It was exactly the case. I mean, when we were at like Universal Studios, for example, they would give us the meal tickets. We, everyone had to have a meal ticket to get food. Right. Um, I remember one time I went up to Lex Luger and Buff Bagwell and I said, Hey, here's your bill ticket. And you got to say, I'm Lex Luger. I don't need a meal ticket. You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so run me through this, some more of those duties that, that people might not realize officials are responsible for on, on a given day.
1: On any given day, you know, we're running to get talent either to do a backstage uh, segment We have to make sure that they're at the gorilla position to go out prior to their match. You don't want to wait till two seconds before for them to be there. So the match before we're running to get the talent to be where they're supposed to be. So basically we're babysitters in a way.
0: Cat herders, basically. (laughs) You know,
1: like get them all together. You know, myself, uh, along with a couple of the other referees, we're ring crew members. So we actually were in charge of setting up the ring making sure the ropes are tight and safe, changing the canvases, um, and doing things like that. So there's so many things to do during the day. My day may start at 9 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning to build a ring. And then once the show's over, then we tear everything down. You have to do load out as well, right? Yep, yep. And once we're done with that, it's 12.30, 1 a.m., and then off to the next town. So it's it's a long, long, hard our job to do,
0: yes, sir. It sure is. That's some of the unsung heroes. I, I will happily admit, put it out in the universe so everybody knows. That, yes, <laughs> the, the work you. and effort that the that the crew, the amazing crew, does of officials. Uh, so let's. Uh, I'm going to fast forward a little bit here. Find out that WCW is going under. What's yes. the mindset like for you, and, and what what are your memories of that time uh, in the business,
1: Corey? Else that was a sad day in Panama beach. You know, yes, sir. Um, I show up thinking everything's great. No WCW is great. I, I know, I knew that they were struggling. Right. Um, because our houses were way down, but you know, there was talk of Eric Bischoff buying the company. And so that's what I thought we were going to do. We're going to be WCW. We're going to carry on under Bischoff's uh, reign and we show up and I there's Shane McMahon and, Pritchard and Briscoe and all these other guys and you know it was sad because no one knew if they had a job right the next day you know they said hey everybody's good but they don't need a whole roster of referees and wrestlers to come over to to the WWE it's just not needed and um you know we did that show we cried I did the last match which was Flair versus Sting which was so historical and
0: right Boy, it sure is so
1: lucky you know so lucky to be able to do that and um i went home and that was in april i believe right i, I don't know the exact uh, it, was, day, it was yeah just just before
0: yeah. wrestlemania yeah so that sounds march or april yeah yep
1: yeah. and um i went home and i got a manual labor job really i, I was i was digging ditches and digging uh holes for posts to build decks with because I didn't know where my next paycheck was coming from. I had bills to pay. Yeah. Had a new wife. So I had to make sure that things were taken care of. And WWE called me up the last week of June. And they said, we want you to be in Tacoma, Washington on July the 2nd. And to start up with us. And the only reason I remember that date is because that's my birthday. So it was a great,
0: great Birthday, yeah, birthday. Quite a, quite a birthday gift. Now, uh, what was it like walking into the hallowed halls of WWE coming from WCW, especially uh, as a referee? We've heard a lot of superstars, yeah. call this. So, but as a, as a talent, you have a certain cachet about you. You're established on television. There's Charles Robinson, the referee. What's yeah. this transition like for you?
1: Well, you know, I'd only been on TV for four years, so that's really new in the business. So Absolutely. coming over to WWE, I was terrified. I didn't know if I would be accepted because when someone comes in from the outside, everyone else is thinking, hey, he's trying to get my job.
0: Exactly. That's that. that's the old school wrestler mentality. Yeah, That's
1: exactly. Um, fortunately, the group of referees that we had, Jack Doan, Chad Patton, Mike Chioda, all these guys, they were so fantastic. I mean, Earl Hebner, they brought me in. And they taught me to do things the way that WWE wants it done. And they made me feel like part of the family right away.
0: Was it a culture shock at all for you as far as how things are done? Because it's it's been pretty well documented. I mean, WCW and WWE, two completely different ways of doing business. Completely. Was it, was it shocking? Yeah. Is there anything that stands out to you? It was
1: just so organized when I got here. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would show up at at noon or whatever. And they would tell us then what we're going to be doing for that day. And sometimes maybe even for the next week, which was amazing. They said, Hey, we're thinking down the road about this and this and this. So that didn't happen in WCW. No, we, we would have a lot of changes before the show and during the show, even after the show was a lot of confusion in WCW near the end. Mm -hmm. And I loved my time there. They gave me a lot of great opportunities but people say, always tell me on Twitter, they're like, oh, man, WCW rocks. No, my home <laughs> is WWE. Don't be putting down WWE for WCW. They're they're out of here.
0: I was like, we own them now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So you see what I'm saying? Yes, um, sir. So WWE, they're, they're home. But the referees, they just brought me in. They would do practical jokes on me. I don't know if you heard the story how they introduced me to The Rock.
0: No, I need to hear this story. No, yeah.
1: The guys, they were playing cards. Okay. Um, and I never learned how to play cards. I'm just not good at it. But for some reason, I had a cup of water in my hand. And I think it was Jack Doan said something to me and I acted like I was going to throw water on him. And he goes, you won't do that. You're the new guy here. <laughs> okay. So I throw the water on him. All the referees, they get me, they take me to a chair. They take my mouth shut. They take my finger in a position that you would <laughs> right. only the middle finger is showing. Okay. They a, then they put a sign on me that says, The Rock Who? <laughs> <laughs> they pushed me up in a chair to meet The Rock that way. So uh, that was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And they made me realize, uh, don't what was, water.
0: Yeah, what was Rock's reaction to
1: that? Um, he does this whole thing with his eyebrow. I don't know yeah. if you noticed. <laughs> <laughs> he did that to me. <laughs> that, that was the
0: organic reaction. <laughs>
1: that was it. So, But but it was so much fun, and we, we just had a blast. And, and I learned so much from those guys. Earl Hebner, he's been around forever. He taught me so much. But even today, you know, the referees that we have – today on smackdown and on
0: raw to me they're the best in the business in your opinion what makes a good referee what makes a good referee in this business on a high level to me
1: is someone that stays out of the way when you can sometimes there's too much going on in, in the ring and you can get run over but listen stay out of the way act professional you know mm-hmm. look professional i mean back in the day you would have a referee that was well overweight, not in shape, mm-hmm. didn't care about how he looked. His his shirt would be hanging out. You know, he'd be wearing sweatpants, whatever. Nowadays, you have to be professional. And I think all of our guys do that. And we help each other. Even the younger referees. Corey, I've been doing this for so long, but I don't know everything. And I mess up all the time. But we talk with each other and we help each other to develop – into a better official. And we all have our little little things that we do. I mean, people make fun of me all the time, you know, about the way I react in the ring. But it's how I really, I'm reacting.
0: I'm not playing it up. And, you, and you're, and you as a fan, you watched Tommy Young. And Tommy Young, to your yes. point, was one of the most animated. He, he was in almost, you know, an extra part of the match.
1: Exactly. And it's not to overshadow what the guys are doing in the ring. It's just how I'm really reacting. And I would rather react to someone instead of standing there. One of my biggest pet peeves for a referee is to stand there and put his hands on his knees, like he's resting and looking. It's like, I think it looks very, very
0: lazy to me. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's always funny to me to have a discussion with a referee. You guys have your own little set of rules and and how you do things. It's it's just Fun when it's brought to our attention.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I think the reactions, if they're not overdone, which I do sometimes, I think they add. Because if a big move happens and you're just standing there like nothing happened.
0: You're doing everybody else a disservice.
1: Why should the fans react?
0: Right. Right. You know?
1: So, um, you know, that's the thing about it is. You have to work with the guys because referees, we are important. Um, It takes three guys in the ring or five guys in the ring if it's a tag match. Uh, to tell the story,
0: I'm sure it's next to impossible to pick from. But off the top of your head, what are some of your favorite moments and matches you've been able to be a part of since joining WWE?
1: Oh gosh, you know we have Flair and Shawn at WrestleMania when Flair retired.
0: Oh yes, yeah. Now, now let me. I'm, I'm gonna stop you there because you you okay. spawn another question. So obviously that was in Orlando at WrestleMania, the the infamous, I'm sorry, I love you, the the retirement match of Ric Flair. I actually just watched it within the last month or two. Oh, nice. How cool was it for you to have come full circle as as the fan who idolized Ric Flair to working with him in WCW, you have the final match there, and now this is WrestleMania, the pinnacle of our business, and you're in there with two of the all-time greats. Absolutely. What's going through your mind? I was
1: nervous. Of course, I was very, very sad because the end of an era, you know, Ric Flair's not going to be in the ring anymore. I knew I'd never get to referee him again. So it's very, very sad. A lot of tears. You know, when Sean goes, I love you, I think all three of us were just bawling.
0: There was about 3 million people, I think, that simultaneously (laughs) burst into tears. (laughs) You
1: know, I mean, I rolled out of the ring and I walked up the ramp, kept my head down, you know, I was probably blowing snot, out of my nose because I was, <laughs> I was just sobbing. Yeah, uh, about it. But why they picked me to do it, I don't know. But I'm certainly glad they did. You know, I'm sure. very, very lucky. It's not from ability why get chosen to do this match or that match. It's Just luck of the draw, and I was very, very lucky to be able to do that.
0: So, what are some other ones?
1: Well, since we're retiring, people, let's retire Shawn Michaels. So (laughs) Undertaker Shawn Michaels WrestleMania for Shawn's last match. That was a big one. John Cena, AJ Styles at the Rumble.
0: Okay. Yes, in the Alamo Dome. It was. Right.
1: That was good and bad. It was because Cena won the title. Very emotional. But halfway through the match, I got injured and tore my plantar fascia.
0: On my foot. I think I remember hearing about this. I remember talking to you about this. Yeah. So
1: um that was that was bad because I was out for twelve weeks with that. So um, but you know, anytime I step into the ring, you know, people always say, What's your favorite match? You know, the last match I did, that's my favorite match. Because <laughs> I got to do another match. You know, you never know when it's gonna end. And I was just I'm grateful that I got to do Drew McIntyre and Jay Uso the other night. For the main event of SmackDown. What a wow, what a great match that was.
0: That's that's an incredible outlook, Charles. I have to be perfectly honest with you. Probably all too rare, but I don't know that I've ever heard anybody verbalize that that outlook. That just still being part of this business, still and, and because it's easy, like any job, like any walk of life, you have your ups and your downs and your frustrations, and you get tired and and the grind that is generally you know WWE life. But to have that outlook, that's that's extremely admirable. I would like to say I'm going to steal it, but I know myself, uh, and it's never yeah. going to work that way. <laughs> but yeah. it is is—it is absolutely incredible. What do you credit that to? Just in
1: my beliefs that we don't deserve anything in life. I love that. We're very, very fortunate to get what we have. And, there, Corey, there are so many referees out there that are 10 times better than I am at a referee. I get so frustrated because people on Twitter and social media – you know, everybody wants to be your friend. Mm-hmm. They say, hey, you're the best ref ever. No, I'm not. Thank you for saying that, but I'm not. I have maybe the best hair. There we go. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, there, there's people that I watch and I learn from every day because I do want to be better. And I do want to learn. And my knowledge that I have, I want to pass on to all the new guys. Because, hey, I hope and pray I have another 10. 15 years left in the ring. I feel great physically. I feel great mentally. I want to do it for as long as I can. But I know there's a point where someone's going to take my place, which is which is fine. But I want to help to teach all the young people in the business the proper way to do it. And what WWE is looking for. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, absolutely. Have you ever had a chance to head down to the Performance Center and and teach any of the NXT kids as far as... Anything? Have you ever done any, any guest coaches or anything like that?
1: Yeah, not guest
0: coaching, but
1: we used to rotate the referees to right. do the NXT taping. So once every six weeks, we'd be down there, and we would help. But seriously, Corey, I'd go down there, and I'd give them some information, and then they would tell me something that I had never thought of before. So it's it's a never-ending cycle. What do they say? If you ever stop learning, you're dead. Um,
0: yeah, that's right. right? <laughs> yes, sir. That's it. Is there anything that you have not accomplished in the sports entertainment business that you still aspire to do?
1: Corey, I think, seriously, I think I've done everything that I want to do except teach other people. And I I know I teach people, but, you know, I I would like to do things to um, help future wrestlers, referees, anybody that wants to do something with this business. It doesn't have to be in the ring there's so many backstage jobs that people would love to do just to be in this business. Maybe right. one day I'll be backstage.
0: Right. Well, I mean, that's, I, I do my best to, to bring that to light as frequently as possible, how insane the machine is that is WWE and how many parts there are, how many people that have never spent a moment on your television screen that work tirelessly to make this place function and and so i have the utmost respect for all those people it's it's a truly a team slash family effort every single time you see anything wwe on television
1: absolutely if it's not for the stagehands the lighting guys the pyro guys the video guys the camera guys the camera donnas the camera (laughs) donnas as we call them um without them we'd have no show
0: agreed you know What advice would you give somebody listening to After the Bell right now that maybe doesn't want to be a WWE superstar, but loves this business and would like to to find their way here eventually?
1: If you want behind the scenes, I mean, they're always posting jobs on the website, on the corporate website. But if you want to be a referee, let's say you want to be a referee, you get your experience from finding a local company where you live someone that will let you go and work for them every Friday and Saturday. I know it's hard right now. People aren't running shows. Um, This pandemic's put a big wrench into anyone starting to get into this business, Mm -hmm. but you have to get your foot in the door somewhere. And the place to do it isn't, you don't get your foot into WWE right away. Right. You have to know a little bit about what you're doing, but put yourself around people that know the business and ask questions. I mean, you have two ears and one mouth. Most people talk way, way too much. Um, so listen to what people are telling you and be patient. Don't give up. I never thought that I would ever get on with WCW. I thought, hey, I'll be here on the Indies for a long time, but things happen That's it. To, those,
0: to those that wait. Right on. Very, very well said. I want to ask you about some experiences you may or may not have had on the road. Obviously, there are... European tours usually but there are plenty of stories about basically the era before this one of all the the fun that was had on live events around the globe and as a referee oftentimes I know that the refs were part of these fun experiences there anything that stands out to you that you can tell without incriminating anybody
1: (laughs) well you know I mean one time we uh, may have been Germany it was uh, Kane and Fit Finley And they did a deal. I have pictures of Kane somewhere with this. I wish I could find them. But, you know, he had on a silly hat, had a banana in his hand. (laughs) We did things like that in the ring, you know. Dolph Ziggler, I would have his match, and he would be all beaten and and worn out. And I would have to carry him to the back.
0: Like literally carry him. Literally carry him. He's just dead weighting you. And of course,
1: well, you know, and he starts out with the, the hand around your neck then he just falls and uh <laughs> hey dad waits you when we were doing that i was doing a lot of spartan races uh um, obstacle course races mud, tough mutters things like that so I was okay a little bit better shape and uh it wasn't too much of a problem so hopefully he won't do that now that he's back on smackdown now
0: <laughs> fingers so you, crossed you were into the the tough mutters and the endurance thing for a while
1: i love to do those in fact i think um december the 5th i'm gonna do a Uh, Savage Race here in Charlotte, which is the same thing. It's like 25 obstacles, I think seven miles, get a little dirty, get a little wet.
0: Those are a lot of fun to do. I've done one, and I've only needed to do one. because
1: (laughs) I think I do it because I see the young guys doing it. And, Corey, to me, in my mind, I'm still 30 years old. I, I love it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I want to keep up with these guys. I mean, one of the things that I've started doing this year is wakeboarding and wake surfing okay i've never done those things in my life but i see these guys out on the lake doing it and it makes my old but they i can do that just as good as they can uh needless to say i can't but i have a fun time learning and doing these things that's, i like to be physical that's I like awesome i can be moving around be moving around i don't want to stop
0: If you've never been to the Maryland Renaissance Festival, you don't know what you're missing. There's so much to see and do. It's like a 16th century theme park with shops and pubs, food and games, live jousting, crafts and music, 10 stages with nonstop entertainment. Fun for the whole family. Saturdays, Sundays, and Labor Day Monday through October 24th. For tickets, visit MarylandRenaissanceFestival.com. Save big on admission through September 12th. Near Annapolis, the Maryland Renaissance Festival. Time travel to fun. So I, I noticed behind you right now, not only do you yes. have your custom little nature boy robe, I'm looking more to my screen on the left, that being the, the shape mask, the uh, Michael Myers yes. behind you. I know oh, and yeah. many people are aware that Charles Robinson is an avid horror movie fan. And I have chatted with you short periods of time. I am excited to talk to Charles Robinson about all things horror.
1: Oh, man, I love horror movies. I've been a fan of horror since gosh what 8 years old 7 years old watching night of the living dead or or frankenstein or the wolfman or dracula the old universal horror movies i loved
0: i agree completely i actually showed some of them to my son this halloween this past halloween we had we watched the wolfman and and some of the classics yeah. those are they still hold up so well
1: yeah and, and and my favorite universal is the creature from the black lagoon okay um, i just I love the makeup. I love the design. I love the story. But that's my favorite Universal character. Some people say Dracula. Bela Lugosi was okay, but I'm a big Christopher uh, Lee fan. Christopher Lee was incredible. Dracula. Yes. Yeah. So I almost said Christopher Reeves, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) Superman versus Dracula. Yes.
1: Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, I I love horror movies. Um, You know, from the '70s with Jaws, which. Mm -hmm wow, what a great movie. I think I saw it 10 times in the movie theater when it came out, you know, just time after time after time. Amityville horror, all these nice 70s movies. And then when you got into the 80s with the Slashers. Yes. You know, with, with Michael Myers starting out in uh, 78, but then into the 80s with the Friday the 13th and such. And I've always loved the practical makeup. I mean, yes. there's a, you know, there's a place for CGI. But I think it's overused nowadays, where it's like, I'm not saying, how did they do that? I'm just saying, hey, nice computer work. Yeah, yeah. I I love the work of people like uh, Tom Savini, uh, who did Dawn of the Dead and Friday the 13th and The Burning and so many
0: movies. When I was in high school, I actually worked at the mall where they filmed the original Dawn of the Dead. It's called Monroeville Mall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I had worked there prior to seeing Dawn of the Dead. Right. Uh, and I remember the, all the back hallways, like where you go on a break and there's these red walls and they're still the same color probably to this day. But I didn't realize at the time, I'm like, oh, this is just Monroeville. This is where I live. This is where I grew up. And, and then right. I went on to realize all the history. I was actually at uh, one of Tom's shops around here. It, here's a little bit of, uh, I, I think probably most of the WWE universe knows this, but. Uh, the fiend Bray Wyatt's mask was designed by a guy called Jason Baker, who works. It was yeah. mentored under Tom Savini, and I actually got to go to their shop in Pittsburgh a few weeks ago. It was quite a time.
1: Yeah, it's great. I've become friends with Tom, and, yeah. and also with Jason. And I've been to Tom's house several times. Um, have you Have you had the tour of Tom's house? I got
0: the invite, but I haven't. We haven't been able to make, uh, make our schedules work yet. He lives Dude. fifteen minutes from me.
1: Yeah, you need to go. I mean, yes, it's, it's phenomenal. Everything that he has, but you no, know, he's the master. Uh, especially the slasher genre, you know he did Fluffy from Creep Show, yes, the crate. Yes. You know he's he's done some fantastic stuff. Rick Baker is another one of my favorites. Uh,
0: yes, I'm big I, fan of Rick Baker's work. Yeah,
1: wow. I love American Werewolf in London. That's one of my favorite movies. You know the transition with the werewolf uh, yes. things like that had never been done before
0: yeah I'm in the middle in the middle because it's a four and a half hour long documentary of that in search of darkness that covers yeah. all of the great 80s horror movies I've I'm, I'm a huge horror fan obviously it, with our life it's tough to stay caught up which is always interesting to me to find people in WWE or in our business who are passionate about other things it seems so few and far between Cause this life is so all consuming that it's like, Oh, Hey, this guy's really into this or that. And horror movies to me, uh, that's my escape from all things WWE, which are, they're eerily similar. I feel like it's not that far they of a are. stretch.
1: <laughs> you know, the, the horror guys, the wrestling guys, the, the metal heads, yes. they're all in that same group. Yep. And just so you know, In Search of Darkness, they're coming out with a part two very shortly.
0: I was aware of that. I, I, I'm anxiously awaiting. I, I, obviously, I, yeah. I've been watching the first one for a week and a half because it's like, oh, I have an hour here. Oh, I've got 30 minutes here. So I'm almost yeah. done with it. But it's yeah, inc- it's it's
1: really, really, really good. So uh, I can't wait for that to come out.
0: I understand you have quite the horror collection. Yeah, it used to be a little bigger. Um, back
1: a couple of years ago, I had a storage building. Broken into and they right, took, I recall hearing that. Yeah, they took like sixty thousand dollars worth of stuff. But, wow. Uh, yeah, Um, you know the the bad thing about it was is there's stuff that you can't replace. Right. Very very limited run. I had, I mean, I growing up I used to love Evil Knievel. Okay. You know, I mean, he was he was the the main daredevil out there, and I had a bunch of his toys sealed in boxes, never opened. And all that stuff's gone. And you can't replace stuff like that. Sure, sure. You know, it, it's yeah. just gone. But but my horror collection, I started out doing movie posters okay. when I joined the Navy. I was stationed in Groton, Connecticut. So we would take the train down to Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And I'd go to the, the movie poster shop. And I would buy all these original movie posters like Halloween and Friday the 13th and Scanners and American Scanners Werewolf in London. You yeah. right, right. Yeah, right. So that's, that's where I started. To collect. When I was in high school, I used to do a lot of uh, Fangoria magazine. You've heard of Fangoria? I am
0: very well familiar with Fangoria. And just, yep. just to add a little little flavor on this myself, I was with my son yesterday. As a matter of fact, there's a there's a little shop here in Pittsburgh called Ides, Eides, E I D E S, and okay. it, it used to. And when I was growing up, it was just records and comic books, and now there's a little bit more. But they actually have a whole case full of vintage Fangoria and the uh, what, what's the the Monster magazine, the original one.
1: Uh, uh, Monsters of Family Lab? Yes. Famous Monsters. Famous, Famous Monsters. Monsters. Famous yes. Monsters.
0: Yeah. They have a whole, there's a shelf of it. I literally saw it yesterday. It was still fresh in my mind. And my son oh, goes, Oh, my. look at those. And, I, and they were the original, I mean, the, the 60s and beyond. Right. But, um, yeah. Very, very cool.
1: I think I've been into that store before and seen some of their stuff, but I need to go back because all my Fangoria magazines were stolen.
0: Ah. And
1: I, and I had from, Issue number one all the way to probably at the time three hundred. Wow, Fangoria! They sent me a big box of magazines, but unfortunately, they were the newer ones because there was a big warehouse fire uh, years ago, and they lost all of their back issues. So oh, man. Uh, it's just hard to find that stuff now.
0: Have you ever had any cool interactions where your your horror fandom and your wrestling fandom collided? You know, I go to a lot of
1: horror movie conventions and stuff. And of course, I mean, we have a lot of wrestlers that go there to sign.
0: Oh, um, okay.
1: You know, uh, Roddy Piper was at one. They live, <laughs> they, they live, you know, so I have a, they live poster and a soundtrack. I collect movie soundtracks as well. And, you know, I had him sign that, but that's probably the biggest way that the two merges when I'm at these shows Um, I carry photos around, not to sell, but people are bored in line. They say, hey, Charles Robinson, what are you doing here, you know? And they just want to talk to someone that they see on television. So, you know, you sign a photo and you you hand it to them just to try to put a smile on someone's face. Make people happy.
0: I appreciate it, man. I'm all for it. In your opinion, what wrestling superstar, I won't even say just WWE, if okay. Throughout your, your tenure and your knowledge of this business, what wrestling superstar would make the best horror movie villain? You can't say Kane because he already had one. That's true.
1: I mean, The Fiend. I mean, come on, Bray Wyatt. The Undertaker would be great. Those are the ones that I'm sure they're at the top of everybody's mind. Sure. You know, um, but heck put Otis in a horror movie with a shirt off, you know,
0: come on. <laughs> you're, you're, you're stealing my gimmick, Charles. I'm the only one that's allowed to insult him. <laughs> Tremendous. I love him to death. He's a huge,
1: huge horror movie fan. He absolutely is. We were talking about that the other day. No, you know, I think one of his favorite movies is The Shining. He loves yes. The Shining. Callisto. He's a huge. I didn't know Kalisto
0: was a guy. Corbin, Corbin is definitely a big horror guy as well. Corbin
1: is, you know, um, uh, Drake Maverick. They're all huge, huge horror movie fans. They all like Child's Play too. They all, I mean, Otis, he dressed up like he was Chucky. Yeah, he was Chucky for Halloween.
0: Yes, and his his wife was uh, Tiffany.
1: Yes, and Kalisto, his mask, he has a Chucky's a good guy's mask made. Oh, okay. Um, for him to wear in the ring. So, oh. you know, all these guys, you know, you could put all these guys in movies and they would do great, though. It doesn't have to be some big, tall, menacing-looking person. That's true. Just someone that has a love for what they're doing.
0: I mean, b- by those standards, we could put a hornswoggle in a ter- terrifying movie.
1: Well, he I think he did that leprechaun.
0: Oh, that's 20- right, he did. Remember? Yeah, he was
1: 22 or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't
0: even know what number it was. <laughs> Oh, uh, shout out to Horn Swaggle! I got your I got your DM, Swaggle. I'll, I'll hit you up soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Charles, sure. looking across the WWE landscape nowadays, having been in this business for for twenty plus years, what are yeah. some of your favorite things? What still excites Charles Robinson about sports entertainment?
1: I would say the fans, but we don't have the fans right
0: now. Oh, that's it's a, a great unintentional you know segue. I, mean? I want to ask you about that. So, uh, you've you've been all over the globe. You've you've gone from the independence essentially to start to the hottest the business has ever been. And now I talked to a lot of the talent about it, but they, they haven't necessarily ridden the wave that you have. What's it been like in this, this new environment for you,
1: man, it's, it's hard. I mean, I love going out and meeting fans and talking to fans and taking a photo with a fan just because it makes them happy. Right. And it's just, you know, and you don't have that crowd noise. We, we do, we have the crowd noise now, but when this pandemic first happened, we'd go into an arena at the PC or wherever, and it's dead quiet. But that's, you know, that's what I'm looking forward to the most is just getting back to the arenas, um, you know, with 10,000 people, 15,000 people, 80,000 people for WrestleMania. You know, I just, if we're for the fans, who are we doing it for?
0: Great point.
1: So that's that's what I love most about this business is fans and you know the people that you meet we make some of the very very best friends in our lives yes sir there are guys I would do anything for especially you know the referee guys any of them come ask me to do something for them if it's legal
0: I'll do, I'll do it <laughs> if it's not you'll just look the other way <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: you know what I mean but we're really lucky to be able to be in this business that we're in that's that's the
0: bottom line for me I completely agree with you. I think we all probably need reminded of it sometimes, but this was my reminder. I appreciate it. Genuinely, thank you for the conversation and for reminding me that we are some of the luckiest guys on the planet Earth because we get to do what we do.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And people appreciate what we do. We
0: can never forget that. That's true. We appreciate them. Charles, thank you for hanging out, man. I, uh, we could do this all day, particularly about the horror movies. <laughs> absolutely. But we're running out of time, but uh, maybe we'll do it again. Maybe maybe sometime I'll get like a full horror movie edition going.
1: Oh, that'd be awesome. Let's do that. I would love to do that. Maybe show you some of the uh, my my favorite pieces that I have.
0: I would absolutely love that, man. If not, I'll just hop on a plane and head down to Carolina and check it out. <laughs>
1: Come on. I have a spare bedroom in the biggest mansion on the biggest hill in Charlotte. I think, I think that's what Flair said, right? Yeah. It was <laughs> the wonderful. nicest car, the biggest house. Yeah.
0: That's it. Well,
1: my alligator shoes. All right.
0: Right on. Well, thank you, Charles, man. Be well. I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, have a great week. I want to say thank you one more time to Charles Robinson for joining the show. Always an interesting conversation. If you're not already follow at after the bell WWE on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, join the conversation using the hashtag after the bell. I know I spent all day thinking that up myself. If you're using Apple Podcasts, please throw me a 5-star review. It helps spread the word about the greatest sports entertainment podcast known to man. If you're using an Android, ATBs on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts so that you never miss an episode because then we will mock you relentlessly. And you can follow me at WWE Graves where I just mock everything relentlessly. I'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, more WWE after the bell.